It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on Newstalk 95.3. Michiana's News Channel, your breaking news and weather station. With financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. Wise Money is brought to you by the attorneys at Ledoux, Curran, and Keene, First State Bank, Diane Bennett, and the Inspired Team at REMAX 100, and Bethel College's Adult and Graduate Studies Program. Hello, America. Welcome to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel, that show that helps you take your next wise step in your financial life. My name is Mike Bernard, and alongside me is Josh Gregory. In the studio with us, commercial lender Dana Trowbridge is joining us from First State Bank to provide some great tips and suggestions about small businesses, the overall state of the local economy, all of that sort of stuff. I had no idea that we were broadcasting all the way across America, by the way. And beyond. I truly do have someone listening over in China. I know that. Yeah, I know for sure. That's impressive. Yeah. Well, you know, the the cool thing about talking about small businesses uh, today thing I love about it is that all the principles that we talk about relating to small businesses really apply to your personal financial life as well. And uh, I'm glad that we've got Dana with us today. And uh, he brings a lot of banking experience, uh, mostly on the small business side. But we're going to do our best to try to unpack a lot of these principles and help apply them also in your personal financial life. So uh, I'm excited to have you with us today, Dana. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Josh. Yeah. As always, we're going to be answering some of your questions and some that Dana's going to help us answer as well. So if you have a question, just remind you, go to wisemoneyradio.com. You can get a a bunch of information about the show. You can submit a question there. You can also submit a question by calling 574-222-2000. So as Josh mentioned, a couple weeks ago, we had business attorney Jamie Haig on the program talking about small business, legal matters, and so on. The last couple weeks, we had Diane Bennett on talking about the real estate market and things. And now kind of along that same vein and that same theme, Dana's joining us here to talk about really the local economy, but also lending and financing and all of that. So Dana, before we go too deep, why don't you just introduce yourself, let everyone know who you are. Thanks again, Mike. Thanks, Josh. Uh, my name's Dana Trowbridge. I'm a vice president for First State Bank of Middlebury, serving as a business banking relationship manager. My market is the Northern Indiana and Lower Southwest Michigan markets. I live in Mishawaka. I've been in banking and financial services in the greater Michiana market for over 25 years. I have a Bachelor of Science in Finance and a Bachelor of Science in Management Administration from Indiana University. Go Hoosiers! (laughs) I attended a a comprehensive commercial lending course and received a certificate of graduation from the Michigan Bankers Association. I previously worked as a bank credit analyst applying my financial skills from college and life experience. I also have worked as a registered representative holding the Series 6 and 63 financial services licenses as well as all insurance licenses in the United or in the states of Michigan and Indiana. So you've pretty much done it all then, it sounds like here. Yeah, been around the block a few times. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and, you know, we've had a great working relationship with uh, First State Bank over recent years here, and you've been with them for for quite a while. But Mm -hmm. uh, unpack for us for a moment, uh, talking about the bank in particular, what what kind of services do you guys offer? What what type of specialty do you have? That sort of thing. That's a great question, Josh. Um, The way I like to answer that question with clients and others that ask is that we are a small community bank. Uh, our worldwide headquarters is in Middlebury. <laughs> Been there 106 years. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it's a, a small bank that's uh 
publicly traded but closely held. Yeah, I got it. And uh, our fi- uh, financial holding company is called Crystal Valley Financial. Uh, we have seven whole branches. Well, as I mentioned, our headquarters is in Middlebury. We have two in Elkhart, two in Goshen, one in Mishawaka, where I work out of Edison Lakes, and one newer branch on the corner of Cleveland and Ironwood in South Bend. We are a fully functioning bank with all of the bells and whistles and products and services that you would find at any other large, medium, or small bank. We compete in the small business market. We also have all of the other products such as wealth management, personal residential mortgage, retail banking of all types at our bank, and we are full service. We have all the technology that we, uh, you would yeah. imagine you have both mobile and online and internet. Uh, very much a, a solid bank with about $500 million in assets currently. Wow. Nice. And seven branches, you said, is that right? Seven, correct. Okay, mm-hmm. so that and that newest one was over by Notre Dame, right? On yep. North, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cleveland and Ironwood. Yep. Yep, I've passed that a few times. Okay. And that was open maybe a year ago. Uh, a little less, just about nine or ten months ago. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha, great. All right. Thank you. Uh, so one of your specialties you mentioned, and one of the, the ways that you serve folks is as a commercial lender. So I presume all day, every day, you're talking to small business owners and talking about solutions that you know require either financing for their business or helping them operate their business. So tell us a little bit uh, about the types of businesses that you serve, maybe even an ideal customer for you. Great question also. Um, I work with many businesses in many different industries, so all around the markets I mentioned earlier. So we'll work with any business that's uh, got a mostly local presence that uh, does something other than, or something like manufacturing, services, not-for-profits, those kinds of things. We work both on the deposit side and the loan relationship side. I like to not call myself a lender. I call myself a business relationship person because I work with all aspects of the bank and some of my best clients don't borrow any money whatsoever or they have money available that they don't use. I will try to remember that. Yeah. <laughs> the, next, yeah. the next hour. Yeah. Uh, so uh, my typical client would have a borrowing relationship between two hundred dollars and $300,000, whether that be a line of credit or a term loan or a real estate loan or some combination thereof. They would have a few deposit accounts with us. We would have some personal uh, accounts or uh, mortgages, those kinds of things with them student loans, these kinds of things with them originally. And and they would be uh, what we would call a mom and pop type company. Yeah. So normally we work directly with the decision makers of the business. Uh, our revenue size, I, I do startups anywhere from zero to $20 million in revenues. We have a legal lending limit somewhere around $7 million that we cap out at. We can borrow to any uh, group of entities. Okay. I, I'm glad you emphasize more than just getting a loan too, because actually that's where my mind typically goes to is, you know, you're a banker, which means you're in the business of just doing loans. But the, the reality is that there's an awful lot of important services related to just keeping a business functioning, right? keeping a checking account or savings account, that sort of thing. All the transactions that run through a business in a typical day or a week, uh, that all has to be facilitated by somebody, right? Yes, it does. And it's a big part of the picture that a lot of people don't think about, like you mentioned. I focus on a, several things when I talk to my clients. One of them is smoothing out what I call the cash flow roller coaster. There's an operating cycle and a cash flow cycle. And a lot of times those can be up and down depending on seasonality and other things that businesses incur in their daily lives. I try to help them with that. Smooth 
smooth those things out a little bit and make it easier for them to deal with the ins and outs of the monies. I also work with them on things like value add. So I'll hook them up with other companies that I work with that they can do business with, whether it be a supplier or a sell to client, those kinds of things, or, or other people if they need assistance with uh, another trusted advisor like an accountant or an attorney or an insurance agent, those kinds of things. I refer those to the people that I work with a lot that do a really good job for my clients. So we work closely together with those other professionals. So what what would you say that the quick overall state of the local economy is? I mean, you're talking to a lot of businesses. I, it seems like things are really going well for small businesses in our area. Would you echo that? or I would. Um, Mike, the way that I try to explain that to people, because I get asked that question a lot, which I appreciate because I do kind of have my finger on the pulse of a lot of different companies, some leading indicating industries and some others. And I try to tell them is the, the economy in the U.S., in my opinion, flows from both coasts to the middle. Huh. So we get smoothed out a little bit with Elkhart being an anomaly with the RV business. Uh, that's a little bit differently, obviously discretionary uh, spending cyclical towards that best. So our economy is steady and growing. I have a lot of clients that are asking me for funds to do things like expansion and new equipment currently, buying other businesses, some merger and acquisition activity, and a lot of uh, commercial development going on around here. So if you pay attention to the paper and those uh, committee meetings they have where they're giving abatements or the like or approval for this and that program in the municipalities, there's a lot going on in in Michigan right now. Good stuff. So with the economy improving then, are you seeing small businesses, their actual health improving along the way, right along with it? Yes. I find them hiring. I find them spending money in the economy. I find them improving their businesses and, and generating cash flows that way very much. Awesome. You know, that's actually one of the the questions that I hope we can start to unpack, uh, especially in the next segment. But, you know, because we work with a lot of small business owners and we have an accounting wing to to our firm, we get asked all the time to provide financial statements to Mm -hmm. uh, the bank. You know, anytime one of our clients needs to, um, you know, get a new loan, that sort of thing. Um, I, I know we don't have time to fully unpack this, but... It sounds to me like when you're analyzing these financial statements, uh, you're seeing a whole lot better strength on uh, most businesses' balance sheets and uh, just their overall health and everything. But when we come back, I'd like to hear you maybe unpack what it is that you guys look at, and uh, especially because I think that that applies to our personal financial life as well. Absolutely. I'd be happy to do that. Yeah, we're, we're going to hit that. And we also have a couple questions from fans of the show that relate to that as well. So all that and more here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group coming up on 95.3 MNC. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel, your breaking news and weather station. Hello, folks. Welcome back to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group here on 95.3 MNC. My name is Mike, and I'm joined with Josh as usual. And today we're also joined by special guest Dana Trowbridge, commercial lender, although he told me not to call him a lender. Can't remember what you said. All, all around good guy uh, from First State Bank. He's joining us. We're talking about the overall state of the economy and, and different uh, banking well, ways that banks help small businesses and individuals and so on. If you have a question for the show, just want to remind you, go to wisemoneyradio.com. You can submit a question right there, or you can give us a call at 574-222-2000. Before break, Josh was launching into a pretty big question, and then we're going to dovetail that right into a question from Eric in, in Elkhart. But Josh, you want to pick things back up? Yeah, the basic gist of my question is, you know, how 
how does the bank evaluate the health of a small business? Whether that's you know uh, d- deciding whether or not to extend a loan to them or just kind of consulting with them to help strengthen their business. What are the things that you guys look at when you're analyzing a business? Oh, that's a great question. Um, honestly, some banks look at things differently than others. The larger the bank, usually the uh, less personal scrutiny things get depending on the size of the request. At small community banks like First State Bank of Middlebury, we look at things on a personal basis uh, daily. And what I do when I get financial information from prospects or clients is we break it down from a financial perspective differently than maybe an accountant would. I was always, uh, one of my favorite quotes is that accountants put numbers together according to GAP, which is in a box in a particular way that they need to do it according to their protocol. And banks then tear that up and completely switch it around and make it their own and that's exactly what we do every day so we take things like a lot of people hand me their tax return and they say you know gosh don't look at my bottom line and I say oh you know it isn't the bottom line necessarily always that affects it helps but it doesn't necessarily affect the decision that we're going to make so hmm. we take things and we add back uh, accounting things like depreciation and interest expense and other non-cash expense items that would be included in the income statement in order to generate what we call the business cash flow number completely different number to use usually than the bottom line. And we look at that number from a cash flow perspective. Now, our bank itself, we focus on three things. I think you guys are very strong and familiar with the first one, and that is character. We want to know about the character of the business owners and the decision makers, and that they're able to run their business and their personal lives the way that we need them to in order to be able to maintain the business that they've been doing and make it grow and prosper, which is my favorite thing to help them do. Second of all, we look at cash flow. So what I just related to a minute ago about us setting up our cash flow model, we do that by spreading the financials in a different way than they're provided to us. And then we turn around and and, and look at the impact that that cash flow has on the debt service that they need to uh, be able to take that money and use use it for. Mm-hmm. So. That's two of the ways we do things. The third thing then is collateral. We really um, don't want the collateral. We take it because we need to and have to and want to, but we don't necessarily want to be able to have to sell your stuff. We want you just to pay back the loan as agreed, and that's exactly what we do. Got it. That's right. Yep. Got it. Okay, guys. So Eric asked a great question. We're going to launch into that right now. So Eric from Elkhart says, I operate a business in Elkhart, and we're looking to acquire a local competitor of ours who's transitioning into retirement. I think that's common. A lot of baby boomers out there mm-hmm. looking at this. We've had a good working relationship together over the years, and I feel that a merger would be great, would be a great complement for both of our operations. We are just starting to talk about this, but I do know that the business and equipment for the price of that, it'd be far more than what I have in cash. What are my options to finance this purchase? Is there a government or state program that I borrow money through, or do I go through a local bank? What are my options, and what should I expect the process to be like? Great question, Eric. That's yeah, a, I love that question. question. You know. Often the the issue of um, what are my options for financing something like this, that is what derails many acquisitions of businesses. You know, the idea makes sense perfectly on paper, but then they can't work out the financing on it. And um, so this I am especially glad, even though you don't call yourself a commercial lender, I'm assuming that you're going to approach it from that angle, right? Yes, I am. Cool. So, so what are, you know, Dana, if you were going to kind of unpack for us what the different options are for, um, you know, getting financing for buying out a competitor like this, what do you guys look at? Great, great question, too. Thanks, Eric. Uh, 
honestly, um, what we do is we look at all the options we can, and there are many. Uh, the regular option is the conventional loan perspective. And in this case, he mentions that the equipment and the business price would be far more than I would have in cash. In that case, we use some sort of government supporting option, and that would be the SBA 504 program, which I'm very intimately familiar with. Uh, I sit on the board of directors of the local organization that monitors and uh, uh, puts in place those programs. It's called the Business Development Corporation in downtown South Bend, and they do a fantastic job of uh, getting that program put together for bankers. So usually what a business owner would do would come to me first. They would uh, talk to me about the possibility of buying this entity. I would do some initial uh, uh, analysis, financial analysis, and assessment of where we're at and, and what we can do to help from a financing perspective. So we're going to look at it from those two things I just mentioned before, cash flow and collateral. Do you okay. look at it from the perspective of, is this a good buy? I mean, are, are you advising your, your potential client here that, hey, this is not a good fit? Or uh, do you keep that opinion to yourself and it's just purely looking at numbers? <laughs> Josh, that's a great question. I do end up doing that in a lot of cases just because of the fact that there are many, many ways to look at businesses and tell you how much they're worth, whether it be a stock purchase, an asset purchase, a multiple of revenues, a multiple of uh, pro, uh, profit and loss. There are many ways to look at it. So everybody's got an opinion on that. And usually they have two or three people tell them and they usually ask me. So I usually tell them, based on a cash payback perspective. How long is it going to take them to pay back the money that they're going to borrow and whether that's a reasonable amount of time or not? That's the perspective I take when valuing a business. You know, how much cash is it going to generate and how long is it going to take to pay back the money you're borrowing to buy it? So this was one of the questions I had, kind of the stemming off of this, and I just want to make sure I'm hearing you correctly. So you're evaluating who the, the business that's borrowing the money, you're looking at their business, mm -hmm. but you're really focused on the business they're acquiring and how much free cash flow that's going to provide. Is that right? Are you uh, doing both or? Yeah, we do what we'd call a global. So we'd add them both together, but okay. we also flip that around a little bit and we mostly rely on the acquirer to make sure that they could cash flow it if they don't do what they need to do with what they're buying. Gotcha. So ah. it's real important that they can rely on the, the current base business to support the new acquisition, even if the new acquisition doesn't do what they want it to do in the time frame that they want it to do. That's interesting, though, because, you know, on the personal side, when someone's buying a house, for example, mm -hmm. the, the banks require that you go get an appraisal and prove that, hey, this house is really worth what yeah. you're you're paying mm -hmm. for it, right? Mm -hmm. But on the commercial side, it's it's not like there's a required valuation of the business necessarily. You guys kind of have your own infirm, informal system, but you're trying to evaluate just the ability to repay that loan, it sounds like. There's two parts of that that are valued, really. We certainly do appraisals on real estate, and then in some cases, depending on the reliance on the equipment, if it's a manufacturer, sometimes we have to do an outside valuation of the equipment to support the purchase price of that. Ah, the buy-sell agreement that the attorneys put together, and you mentioned you had one last week, hopefully talked about a buy-sell agreement. That agreement really determines how we're going to finance it for the most part. Okay. So depending on what they're buying and how much they're paying for it, that's how we get our structure. Okay. Of financing structure in place. One other thing I do very much want to mention is in a lot of cases when we're dealing with small companies that are buying another small business, they end up uh, paying more than the assets that are valued at. So what happens is we have what is a gap. So usually in some cases that gap can be covered by a collateral shortfall on an SBA type program to support it or secondarily and sometimes in conjunction with seller note. So the yeah. seller takes on a small role as a bank 
to finance the portion that can't be financed any other way. So basically they keep some of that risk on their own shoulders yes. and they're crossing their fingers, hoping that their yep. buyer is actually going to pay them back, right? Yep. So you mentioned SBA loan, mm-hmm. I think, uh, a few minutes ago. Are there mm-hmm. more options than that? I mean, you've well, got to qualify for that, right? I mean, it's- Yeah, you do, but uh, it, it's getting easier and easier. Uh, I have okay. to say that from a government perspective, not being a huge fan of all government programs, the SBA is the absolute best government any I've ever encountered. They have a killer website, www.sba.gov, that is very, very strong, easy to use from a friendly consumer basis and has a lot of great information. There are two SBA programs. One of them I mentioned that I'm into with is the 504 program. We call that the 50-40-10 program where the bank ends up financing 50%. The SBA does a a takeout of the bank loan and floats a bond for 40%. And then there's a 10% down payment requirement on most types of loans, not all. Uh, I was going to ask that. For the SBA. So that is a low down payment hurdle. Not only is that a great program from a low down payment perspective, but they have an awesome fixed rate, 10-year equipment rate that's incredibly great fixed for 10 years and the real estate rates a 20 year fixed rate is just incredible banks can't touch it can you give us uh, an idea of what kind of rate we're talking here like ballpark yeah on the uh, business development corporations website they publish the rate every other month when it's issued and today both of those rates are below five percent okay. wow yeah that's good fixed for the term Fixed yeah, for 10 years on equipment, 20, 20 year on real estate. Real estate. There's good. another SBA program called the 7A. That's the 7A's bread and butter program. They uh, all, That's also can be used for some working capital, like a line of credit, also some term loan uh, uh, help to finance also. And you can do that in conjunction with both programs. Very good. Thanks, Dana. We've got Dennis's question come up about buying some commercial real estate here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group here on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel, your breaking news and weather station. Hello, guys. Welcome back to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group here on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. My name is Mike, and the studio with me is Josh Gregory, as well as special guest Dana Trowbridge from First State Bank. We're taking your questions right now, but we're talking about overall commercial lending and how to finance uh, small business operations and all of that. We just took an awesome question from Eric about, he's thinking about acquiring a competitor. And basically we dissected that. And if I can sum up the answer here, Dana, correct me if I'm, if I'm off base, but basically that the first step should be any small business owner, or Eric in particular, should reach out to a local banker. What, what, what's your title again? What were you calling yourself? Relationship manager. There you go. That shouldn't be that hard for me to remember. <laughs> and and really get the process started of evaluating options and likely some sort of SBA loan or combination thereof is probably the right place to start. So, Eric, I hope that helps you and others in a similar situation. I, I hope that helps. Uh, next question we've got is from Dennis in Mishawaka. He says, I run a small business and I rent space for us to operate out of. My lease is up later this year and my landlord came to me recently to see if we are interested in buying the building instead of just renewing our lease. What do you guys think? Is this a good idea? What are the pros and cons? I, I, it feels like this question really has kind of two components to it. It's, it's the should I buy it, right. but there's also, you know, an implied can I buy it. And unfortunately, too many people... No, that doesn't matter. Well, we'll just figure it out, right? Commit and go. (laughs) Well, many people, 
they answer the question, can I buy it first? And if the answer is yes, then they just charge forward and the should I buy it? Well, they offered it to me, so of course oh, I'm going to buy interesting. it, right? Yeah. But, you know, too many people, they, they do approach that in the wrong order. I, I think we need to hit the should I buy it? And I'm glad Dana's here because he may be able to help us with the can I buy it? How, how do I structure <laughs> that type of a loan? But, you know, on a surface... The, the question of should you own the building that your business is operating in? I personally like that idea. I love it. Yeah. You know, if, if Kevin were here, he'd say, you know, at, at the end of 10 or 15 years, you could own that building instead of having a drawer full of rent receipts, right? You got it. And uh, so building up equity is, is certainly a, an important principle. It's a way to build health in your financial life, whether you're a business owner or a personal, yeah, um, right. you know, just personal finances. But um, I, I would kind of um, emphasize the fact that when you own the building that you are operating your business in, you have really more control over your own destiny. You know, you have the ability to uh, decide, hey, I'm going to stay put here instead of the lender refusing to renew your lease, for yep. example. You know, maybe they've got something else they want to do with the property. That could make your business more valuable that you've got your location secured for the next generation or whoever you sell to. Absolutely. We already talked about how it builds up equity in, in an asset that's outside of the business, mm-hmm. right? It adds another stream of income to your own personal finances when you're renting from yourself so to yeah. speak. But, um, you know, and there, there's actually even, we, we don't need to go into it right now, but there could be some tax planning opportunities when you own uh, the, the building that you're operating in as well. So it, we definitely would give a thumbs up to the idea, but you need to look at the, the, the specifics as well. The devil's in the details, right? Yeah, I mean, there, there are cons in, you know, do, do you even like the space? Can, right. you, can you grow in it? Do you see yourself being there for a while? Will you be able to sell it in the future? I've got some people who bought the building without even thinking. Really, the first <laughs> yeah. step before you buy your house or anything else is, how am I going to unload this thing? Exactly. Is someone else going to want this? How much maintenance? Whether that's buying it or, or renting it sure. in the future. If you yeah. need to move on to a different building or, or your business, you decide to close, close up shop, whatever. Yeah. You, you're going to be responsible for maintenance, most likely. So you'll want to know, you know, does this thing need a new roof or is it up to code and all of that sort of stuff. And then you're also going to have to think through several other things, but also have to think through who's going to who's going to own this building. Because if if Dennis, Dennis, if you're buying it, I wouldn't have your business buy the real estate. Mm-hmm. And I also wouldn't have you personally buy the real estate. Right. You would want to set up a separate LLC. And sometimes that gets a little bit complicated and people just say, no, I'm not really interested in that. So I want to, Dana, I want to ask you a question that mm-hmm. Josh talked about earlier in the last segment about appraising. Mm-hmm. So for a commercial property, in mm-hmm. order to get financing, or again, we're still kind of evaluating, is this a good idea? Would you have to appraise it? Would it need to appraise and do you guys do that sort of stuff for folks? Great question. Um, honestly, the answer to that question, Mike, is that yes, it would need to be appraised before going to finance any par- portion of it whatsoever. Okay. But people need to uh, realize that the bank requires an appraisal of an approved appraiser on their list per se. So a lot of people uh, in some cases go out and get their appraisal ahead of time and then they negotiate the sale price and then we can't end up using that appraisal and we have to do a different one. Oh my goodness, they wasted money then. Double up. So it's it's best to speak with the person that's possibly going to finance the purchase and before you go and order anything from an outside third-party vendor to make sure that, whether it be an environmental or an appraisal, that uh, 
a survey or anything that, that it's done the way that the bank requires it. You don't have to redo it. Uh, there's a couple things that I talk about it with clients that propose getting out of a leasing rent situation and buying their business. And I used to teach a business plan workshop for the Small Business Development Center that's now part of the chamber. Ah. And in that class, there's a phrase I used called fit and function. And that means that your business building needs to fit your business and you need to be able to function. And when I say fit, that's a big factor. If you're a growing small business, you want to be able to expand. So if your business has no ability to expand, starting a second separate location is expensive and unwieldy. So you need to be able to take those things into consideration. That's very important. Great point. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. You know, you also mentioned uh, getting certain testing done, environmental testing Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. um, inspections, that sort of thing, which reminds me very much of buying a house. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there are some people out there that they never have their house inspected uh, or they, they really don't go through the motions of checking, uh, you know, understanding fully what they're buying. Um, talk to the importance of doing environmental tests and, and things like that. Is that something you guys require or is it at the discretion of the buyer? How, how does that work? Uh, environmental policy within a bank is usually discerned on different levels of risk. There's low, medium, and high risk to the properties. You know, vacant farm ground is very low risk. Something like an office building or a medical building in most cases is a medium risk. And then any Anything like a gas station or a former, you know, tank farm or those kinds of things that that has some uh, possible chemical deterioration, these kind of things uh, are high risk, and those require a, a deeper environmental study done, whether it be boring samples or something like that. So it depends on the level of risk and the history of the previous. Uh, uh, use of the property, and those are done through something called a phase one environmental. Not too expensive. A lot of banks require them on most transactions. It depends on what the situation is. But those are things that people do need to think about. And as far as uh, getting an inspection of a property, whether it be your house or a business property, a lot of people defer because of the cost. Right. And what they don't realize is to spend $500 to have your house or your business building looked at from a, 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 a professional eye in terms of a report of where the mechanicals are, where everything is, uh, is money well spent in a lot of cases where people tend to think, oh, $500, I don't, it's not required, I don't want to do that. But the information that they get out of that can make the buying decision change from yes to no. Hmm. Okay, so let's assume that uh, the purchase of this building is a good idea. I I like your phrase of it fits the business and the function of the business there. Um, Is the Small Business uh, Association loan that we talked about in our last segment, Mm -hmm. is that a possibility for uh, financing this type of acquisition? Absolutely. And And recommended. Well, yeah. I mean, the thing that stood out to me was that you only had to have 10% down. Is that still the case if if you're buying real estate? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so so remind us of those terms again. So ten percent down, yeah, and the ten percent down payment in most cases. Some buildings have a little higher hurdle depending on if it's a single purpose use building or not. Okay, it's so like a church. There's a there's a, a, a single purpose use, so it's a fifteen percent down payment versus you can't really convert a church into many other things. Got it. But if and you then, compare that to a commercial loan, just a straight you know mortgage against the property, is that typically a twenty percent down requirement, or can that vary? In as most well? cases, eighty twenty. Yes, eighty okay. percent loan to value is a lot of the standard uh, amounts that banks will lend off of. How would the interest rates compare using the SBA? Well, that was one thing that stood out to me from the last segment as well. That you you said the fixed interest rates for twenty years is below five mm-hmm. yeah, percent. Are commercial loans on a mortgage like that in a similar 
uh, level? Or are they higher? How, how would they compare? I would say that they're, uh, we try to do our best to keep those rates similar, but in a lot of cases, they're a little bit higher depending on some of those other factors like cash flow and, and time in business and type of business, these kinds of things. But uh, from a rate perspective, a lot of banks don't do long-term fixed rates in today's rising rate environment. And if they did, those rates would be fairly high in order to compensate for the interest rate risk they'd be taking on. So most cases, the, the SBA allows for that long-term fixed rate that the banks can't touch. Got it. Very interesting stuff, Dana. Thanks for, thanks for being on the show. When we come back, we've got questions that we're going to be answering from Travis and from Stephanie. So that and more coming up here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group here on 95.3 MNC. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel, your breaking news and weather station. Wise Money is brought to you by the attorneys at Ledoux, Curran, and Keene, First State Bank, Diane Bennett, and the Inspired Team at REMAX 100, and Bethel College's Adult and Graduate Studies Program. Hello, guys. Welcome back to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group here on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. Dana Trowbridge has been joining us today along with Josh and myself. Uh, he just left. We finished up the question and uh, the discussion about well, I still want to say lending, commercial lending, but just let's just say general operating uh, for uh, how banks serve small businesses and so on. And we answered a great question by Eric and Dennis. So thanks to Dana for being on the show. Hopefully it was helpful information. Yeah, I, I especially like that last question about, well, from Dennis about the SBA loan. At, I would encourage you, Dennis, to go check out that uh, the, the SBA 504 program that uh, Dana really kind of referenced in both segments there. And he also, <clears throat> excuse me, he also referenced the SBA.gov website being a great place to get more information. But I'm sure that Dana and other lenders like him out there would really be a great education source for you if you dive into that a little bit deeper. Yeah, what's interesting, we've used the SBA program with other clients and you you got to initiate that with a local banker, uh, but the SBA option can be a great option for a lot of folks. So, all right, next up, we've got a great question here from Travis. Travis called in. He said, I'm an avid fan of the show and have a quick question. The company I work for is asking for my social security number in order to open a company credit card in my name. I feel a little bit uneasy about this and was hoping to get your advice. And thanks for the question, Travis. He called in. We actually, I had, uh, I wasn't available, but I had Heather give him a call back and we had a little dialogue. But I wondered if question. maybe he was the uh, the China listener that you were no. referring to. <laughs> no, but I'm, I'm being serious. We, we do All have. All across America. That's right. All right. That's right. Through the internet and the airwaves. All right. And we're I love we're it. hitting it. So uh, I think this is more and more common, Travis. And this is, this is what I. I had our team share with him. It's more and more common to have a company credit card in your name. You know, the old, um, and I shouldn't say old because it still happens, but filling out expense reports for people who are either sales folks or have to buy equipment or things for their business, filling out expense reports, that is expensive itself. I mean, right. it's a hassle. You've got to fill out some sort of report. You then need to get it to someone to review it, usually your manager. Then it's got to go to accounting to review it as well. And that can really all be shortcut through having a credit card. Yeah, you're cutting out all the administration theoretically. Although, you know, even when you do disperse credit cards to lots of your workforce, 
there still has to be some level of accountability there. Josh performs that duty at KFG, <laughs> right. and it's a amount of work. It really is, especially those Amazon purchases, because they show up on the credit card uh, receipt and everything as just Amazon. Well, you don't know what it is. That's one of the warnings I'll have for Travis here in just a second. But so for anyone in a similar situation as Travis, I think it's more and more common that you're going to have a credit card uh, a company credit card in your name. But there are some risks, some things you need to be aware of. Well, there are, but I, I think I would also put his mind at ease because he may be worried that he's somehow a personal guarantor guarantor of uh, the, the loan, essentially. When you borrow against a credit card, are you going to have to pay it back? Are you liable in any way? And, you know, the, the only way that that happens is if you are an actual account holder, the, the person signing um, on the account application, opening up this credit card itself, that's the person who's guaranteeing. That's right? right. You are becoming most likely an authorized user would be the phrase that you would want to verify. But as an authorized user, it, I, I heard a great analogy that it's like being able to go into someone's house and have refrigerator rights. Have you ever heard that phrase before? Never. Well, Mike, I extend refrigerator rights to you, my friend. <laughs> When you show up at my house, you have just free reign of the refrigerator. Anything oh, wow. you find in there that's not growing something weird, okay, cool. um, you know, you can have access to. All right. We're, we're recording this, so that's All right. Good. It's on record. Yeah. But the point is, you showing up at my house, being able to have this privilege of using the refrigerator is like having just the, the, the added benefit of using someone else's credit card. It doesn't mean you're responsible for stocking the refrigerator. Mm-hmm. You're not responsible for paying the mortgage on the house or anything. You are just a guest in the house. And that's how it is with an authorized user on a credit card as well. But is it going to be on his credit report? It could be. Yes. That's right. There are some credit cards out there that do not report to the uh, the credit report of a an authorized user. Mm-hmm. Um, I know American Express is that way. Uh, we use a Capital One card, and they do not. Uh, but we've used many cards in the past that do. Yep. Um, so the the answer is it might. Yep. And that could either benefit your credit or it could hurt you. Yeah. Right. And and I think the way he he questioned it was, okay, am I going to be personally liable? So I'm glad you answered that. And then I also, because he specifically mentioned he's concerned about them asking for a social security number, I think he also is a little worried about identity theft and protecting his identity. Yeah. First of all, your company already has that. Right. In order to pay you and issue you know, employment forms and all of that, they've got your social. So that's not that big a deal. But the second is, you know, your identity could be at risk really anywhere. That's right. And so we really recommend two things that everyone do to stay on top of their overall, you know, identity protection. And the first is you need to look at your credit report at least once a year. And I didn't say credit score. I said your credit report. Right. And so you're going to look at that. And I bring this up, Josh, because you mentioned, you know, this activity, this card might show up on there. It might not. But Travis and everyone else, you need to look at your credit report at least once a year. And then second is I would actually consider getting some sort of insurance protection too. A lot of homeowners insurance companies are offering that as kind of part of the package. And of course, you've probably heard of uh, LifeLock and some of those other services. So that's the second thing I'd consider is maybe Speaking getting some insurance. about identity theft protection is what you're talking about. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Very good. So next question is coming from Stephanie. She's from South Bend. She says, my company is now offering prepaid legal services for a small cost as an employee benefit. It's a few dollars each paycheck, and I'm considering whether my husband and I could actually use the service. We've been married for about five years, but don't have any kids yet. We don't have a will or a living will, so I'm curious 
if I should sign up for this service and get that in place? That's a good question. A lot of companies are offering prepaid legal. Yeah. You know, the, obviously you want to do some sort of cost benefit analysis on how much are they going to be taking out of your paycheck to pay for the service? And then what are you going to get in return from the prepaid legal services? Um, but actually, I, I want to focus in on what she's talking about going and getting. She mentioned the will or a living will, right? right. Yeah, and right. those, when they're putting a basic estate plan in place. We, we did an entire show back at the beginning of the year on estate planning. And um, th- th- there's actually two documents that I would say are more important than having a will or a living will for Stephanie since she is married but doesn't have any kids. Yeah. And I, the, the two that I would throw out there are a power of attorney and an appointment of a healthcare representative. Sometimes it's referred to as a healthcare power of attorney. Yep. Um, but I don't know, do you want to unpack what those are? You want me to? Well, typically the four documents that are necessary in any estate plan, I call it the estate planning happy meal, is a will, a living will, and then these two power of attorneys that you're mentioning, the regular or the sometimes called durable power of attorney, basically gives you authorization to transact financial matters on someone's behalf. And there's two types not to get too granular here, but one is springing, meaning you don't have that authority until this person can no longer do it themselves. And the other is express, where once they sign that paper, they can act on uh, on their own behalf and you can act on their behalf as well. So that one's more common when you're talking about a spouse, That's right? right. You, That's you right. would grant them authority immediately. And something similar on the healthcare standpoint, but that really only comes into play if they're not able to make healthcare decisions themselves. Right. You need someone who can talk to the doctors and the nurses on your behalf, make medical decisions if you're incapacitated and can't do it yourself. Right. Um, so the, these two documents are more likely to be used because you're, you're more likely to get conked on the head or get some sort of uh, you, you know illness that prevents you from being able to carry out your own wishes or handle your own affairs anymore. And so those documents are more important than those that would be end of life type documents, you know, a, a will, which basically says what you want to have happen to your stuff if you pass away prematurely. Now, a will is extremely important, but usually we recommend that people just have joint ownership with their spouse and make sure your beneficiaries are accurate. And that's mostly enough if you don't have any kids yet. Right. But when you have kids or when you're first pregnant, that's when you really need to start with the will because that also lists guardian as well and all of that. Which is huge. You have to be able to decide who's going to take care of the kids if Stephanie, both you and your husband are gone in some freak accident of some kind. So to just clean up the answer here, Stephanie, I wonder, I'm sure that cost is cheap, but I wonder if you're paying a lot for this prepaid ser- prepaid legal service that you're just only going to use for just a couple documents. Right. I would look at what all is listed there and what the cost is because you may be able to find it cheaper elsewhere. So. But great question. Thanks for the question, Stephanie and Travis and Dennis and Eric as well. If you missed anything, uh, go to the website, wisemoneyradio.com. Check out all the past episodes. You can even submit your own question that way as well. I want to thank Dana Trowbridge from First State Bank for joining us today. And on behalf of Josh and myself and the rest of us at KFG, guys, have a great weekend. We'll see you next week here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Securities are offered through Securities America, Inc., member FINRA SIPC. Financial advisors offer advisory services through KFG Wealth Management, LLC, doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC, Corhorn Financial Group, KFG Insurance Agency, and KFG Tax and Business Services are separate entities from Securities America, Inc. Tax services provided by KFG Tax and Business Services and insurance services provided by KFG Insurance Agency. 
Listen again next week to Wise Money on News Talk 95.3 Michiana's News Channel.